When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Bill Dunphy, Toronto-based writer, formerly with the Hamilton Spectator and the Toronto Sun, currently writing comedy. Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. Thanks, Jesse. Welcome to you too. Bill, today we're going to talk about sexual assault hazing, a culture of brutality and humiliation at a Toronto private school. Must be the media's fault. We're going to talk about the CBC. CBC has messed up badly. They have allowed criticism of the CBC to air on the CBC. But don't worry, folks, it's all been disappeared. And we are going to talk about a month of weird attacks on Canada land. I thought everybody liked us. Good to have you here. (laughs) Thanks. It is hard to learn the truth about yourself from other people. (laughs) I refuse. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Roberto Selbach, Jeffrey Greenall, Peter Homanuk, Emily Stewart, William Law, Gail Parsons, Mark Atkinson, and Pierre Duez. I support Canada Land because I believe in Canada Land's funding model. It makes sense to pay for accurate, insightful news, especially if doing so helps it reach a wider audience. With the Canadian news media landscape in a drawn-out state of transition, we are all better served if the changes and decisions are held up for public scrutiny. And Bill, this episode is brought to everyone by Canada Land's founding sponsor, FreshBooks. I used FreshBooks before they were our sponsor, and I use them today to help us with this business as well as for my personal stuff. It's just what you want for your accounting, for your invoicing. Do you have a solution for your invoicing, Bill? I have used FreshBooks in the past and was delighted with it. I will ask no more about that. I can say that 97% of FreshBooks users recommend it, and uh, they have like over 5 million people around the world using this thing. It's nice to see a local company create the best version of something in the whole wide world. It saves you a ton of time. It's really easy to use, and you can try it out for free for 30 days. After that, if you become a customer, they might ask you, how did you hear about us? And you should say, Canada Land. Thanks, FreshBooks. Bill, we're going to talk about this unfolding series of scandals at St. Michael's College here in Toronto. And I think that probably I should leave it to you to uh, briefly orient listeners who might not be keeping up on this on what happened and maybe share with us what your connection is to all that. Sure. The story broke after the media learned 
about video circulating on social media of what sounded like a, a sexual assault as part of a hazing ritual. When they approached the police, the police knew nothing about it. When they approached St. Mike's, St. Mike's then did confess that this had happened. They reported it to the police and, and the story was off and running. There's a lot of parts to it in terms of when the school learned about things, when they reported about it. But the basic information is that police are now investigating. I guess it is, let's see, they've arrested six boys and charged them with gang sexual assault. They're investigating a minimum of four incidents. Uh, I expect that number will grow. Um, St. Mike's, for those who may not know it, is an all-boy private school, Roman Catholic, with a very long history and a tradition rooted especially in excellence in athletics. They pride themselves on producing star and professional athletes. I was an alumnus of the school, and I read about that with horror, but not surprise. I mean, I went there a long time ago, Jesse. It was I entered the school five decades ago in September, uh -huh. and I was not at all surprised because I recognized the roots of the violence, the, the sexual violence, in the everyday class life back then. And the school's initial handling of this event to focus on dealing with it themselves before calling in the police or notifying children's aid, as is their statutory obligation, is rooted in their tradition and in the Catholic Church's tradition on how they handle scandals and especially sexual scandals. Bill, can you talk about what you experienced? You've written about this for the Globe and Mail. You shared some memories of some of the abuse that you experienced yourself there. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. I was angry and initially thought of approaching the school to deal with that. And then I thought, well, I'm a journalist and a writer. I should use those tools. So I wrote a piece detailing my experience. And I talked about how I, I'm one of seven boys in a family of nine children. All seven boys went through that school. I was in the middle. And on my first day in school, uh, as I was leaving the welcome assembly, I was punched in the stomach by a science teacher who said, oh, another Dunphy. It was casual violence. It was all in fun, but it did set the tone and it set the tone correctly. The school placed a enormous premium on what we now would call toxic masculine attributes and characteristics, dominance and dominance through physical force. So teachers would hit kids on the head with a textbook. They'd throw chalk at kids. They would uh, torture them physically. There was one science teacher who if you talked in class, you had to join his air force and hold airplanes up in paper airplanes in each hand for the entire class. And this, if you haven't done it, you would try it. It becomes excruciating after 10 minutes. Uh -huh. And in my piece, I tried to draw a line to those long ago incidents. And, and I thought such things were not happening in the school currently because teachers aren't allowed to assault students anymore. I found much to my horror since the piece came out, that while they don't assault students directly, they do do things like make them do push-ups if they fail to bring the homework, make them do squats and hold it against a wall. I mean, these again, humiliation, uh, feats of strength, it bespeaks a deeply poisoned, incorrectly masculine culture in that school. And, and these children have been the victim of that. Bill, like this is completely unknown territory to me. 
do you draw a line between that kind of use of force from the staff to these hazing rituals, which I'll warn people to turn off the podcast if uh, this is what's being reported. I think the clarity is necessary here because when you talk about the term gang rape is not fanciful. That's the actual allegation, sexual assaults, the allegation. Um, but specifically in the context of hazing, we're talking about a, a sports team where the hazing ritual was to hold down one member and to assault him with a broomstick handle is my understanding of this. And I think it's important to be explicit about what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, when the students do that, do you see a connection between the way that the, the teachers are behaving? Yeah. And I mean, it's connected in a couple of ways. One, it's important to note here that this kind of hazing is not done in front of teachers. The two incidents that initially came to light, the sexual assault or the alleged sexual assault was in a locker room. Uh, there was another, I guess you could call it more minor assault, where a student in his underwear was thrown into this these large sinks they have in the bathrooms, splashed with water and slapped around. The assaults on the students or the the use of force and humiliation and physical strength as a tool for dominance displayed by the teachers very, very clearly sends a message to these young boys about what is acceptable and what isn't. Yeah. And that's the line I draw. And even though these days the teachers, from everything I've heard, do not strike students, they still emphasize the strength and humiliation as what they would call discipline. There's a direct line there. I think that sounds right to me. And, and you know, when you talk about this whole scandal coming out, it's because someone took video footage of it and the students who have been charged and they should be charged and they've been expelled and they should be expelled are going to take the hit for this as they should. But I, I suspect that this has been going on a lot longer than they've had phones to document it. I, I suspect that it may have been going on at that same school before these kids were born, in which case, how do you find these specific kids? Like they inherited, I'm going to go ahead and suggest we're going to find out that they inherited these practices as customs, as cultural practices at that school and it brings up a lot of interesting stuff just about the culture of of private schools. This is a media criticism show, and the media has been criticized here. Uh, so I want to take our conversation to that. And we're going to play you a clip that's been going around. CP24, I think, has been leading this story. But it was actually a City News crew uh, that encountered these two moms who had this to say about the media. We're concerned about what the media is doing to the school around this incident. You're not helping. So there you heard it. They are more concerned about the media harming the school. The media is the problem. That's what they say. That's part of the problem. And, and they're more concerned about that. And there was another incident where CP24, their, the media's gear, somebody drove a car into it. Assumedly a parent drove their car. Nobody was hurt. This targeting of the media in a case where my understanding is that the police learned about this from the media that these serious crimes would not be known and, and all the other crimes that are coming to light, alleged crimes that are coming to light, it is because of CP24's work on this. How are we to make sense of the parents being angry with the media in this context? There's two pieces to that, I think. One is I began reporting in 1981 and I've certainly witnessed an enormous erosion of public trust and confidence in the media over the course of my career. So that's one part of it. I think the playing up of that is really the fault of the media in that sense, because 
I think they play that up because they don't have anything else to report that day and they have a news cycle they, they have to fill. I don't think it's terribly significant to this story other than the second part uh, that I was going to say about the reaction. The second side of that reaction, it does reflect the intransigence, the defensiveness and defiance that you see in a closed and tight community that comes under attack from outside or what they perceive to be outside. Never mind that I'm not just an alumnus. I exist because literally Brazilian fathers who run the school brought my mother and father up from the U.S. for their education where they met and married and created this family that was then educated within that system. I am very much a product of that system, but I'm perceived as an outsider. Mm -hmm. And that, again, that's, that's not a bad temperature taking but I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into it. I mean, the response I got to my piece in the Globe and Mail has been uh, astonishing. I mean, the readership and reach that that thing achieved um, was massive. And the response was overwhelmingly positive. I received only a very few negative emails, Facebook messages, tweets, or whatever. Uh, and by and large, those were fairly thoughtful from people who were defensive, but were struggling to understand. So they're not different from the angry parents that confront the media after high school kids have been killed in a drunk driving crash and you want to interview students about it. I think that's pretty generous. I mean, look, I'm very glad that your article was received so well. I can't imagine why it wouldn't be. It's just a person sharing their concerns and their experience. We're talking about two different things. The way your article was received by Canada is very different than how the parents of that school received the media. And the two incidents that I referred to, those two uh, moms who were interviewed and the parent who attacked CP24's gear, that wasn't the only example of this. There was a, a lot of, of talk from parents there online and off. Um, and then there was a meeting where the media was not treated very well a, at all. Yeah. I don't want to make too much of it, but I, I do think, and I think you point to this, it's a closed system and you really do get the sense that what bothers them is not that this is happening, but that the world knows about it. And if you send your kids to a private school for $20,000 a year, you are very, you got a lot of sunk cost and investment in the prestige of that school. And that's part of what you're paying for. Maybe they're paying for their kids to get that kind of athletic training that trained Tim Horton and, and everyone else. I don't know. I'm going to lose myself here trying to name hockey players. But, <laughs> but, you know, I think you're also, you want your kid to be a graduate of this prestigious school. And now the association is with uh, sexual assault. And the parents are very protective of that reputation. And that's a problem, you know. I think there is something to talk about here. I, I said earlier that this is a foreign world to me. And, and certainly a athletic-oriented Catholic boys' school is a very foreign world to me. But I did go to private school. I went to a private uh, Hebrew school, Jewish school, that I was kicked out of in grade five uh, by my aunt, the vice principal of all people, for good reasons. I was very obnoxious. But but I, I, the best thing that ever happened to me was going to public school. And I, and I really, you know, one's sense of themselves as a citizen and not a customer or a client. This is a whole other area. But it was really, that's what it brought back to me was watching these parents, how galled they were that their world was being put on display and how little care they gave to the victims of these actual crimes who, who you know, benefit from the media's attention and who without whom, I mean, this, this is life-ruining stuff. And you hear from this from assault survivors so much. It's not necessarily the incident that traumatizes them for the rest of their life. It's when the institutions apologize for and cover up 
and uh, tacitly endorse that assault. That, that ruins people's lives, you know? So there's two things there. I'm going to agree with you about the invasion of their closed society and, and how that offends them and gets them on the attack. I, I think that's correct. I don't think the money thing is seriously a part of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I guarantee you that virtually all of those parents had discussions with their kids about what's going on. And I think they're all concerned about their kids. I honestly do. I mean, that's not the way the people I know in the world think. I mean, they they are going to put their kids mostly, the kids' safety ahead of that money and that false prestige of the graduation from there, I think. But the key here, I think, is that it's a window into the culture. And I think the reason some of that response comes this way is they still don't see it as that terrible. And you're missing, I think, an important piece of this, and that is the serialization the serial nature of this violence. Because when I went, I was really bothered by it initially. And then I understood, okay, I guess this is the way things are. And I was pretty resilient in a big family. And, you know, I pulled away from the competitive sports. I went into intramural. And then I went into, you know, the, I did the musicals and things like that, debating, where it was completely free of that behavior. I wasn't hazed. Mm-hmm. I got a a Twitter response from a fellow named Joe Reaney, who was deeply involved in the athletics, uh, went on to become quite a star soccer player at university. And he initially started in in his thread talking about how horrifying and saddening it was, and that when he went to school, it was just like I said, you know, 40 years earlier, in terms of the jocks ruling the hallways. And he talked about being thrown 10 feet across the locker room and being thrown into the sinks, which is the exact same behavior that's the focus of the police investigations now as well. And then his next couple of tweets were, you know, it was kind of fun if you were the right kind of guy. And he proceeded to justify it. Uh And I think some of the reaction is because, well, nobody's going to justify a sexual assault with a broomstick. They don't feel that slapping somebody around in the name of good fun is so bad. So, Bill, earlier this week, it was a morning like any other, and Jesse Hirsch was on Metro Morning here in Toronto. And sorry to everybody outside of Toronto. That's a guy who does technology stuff on our big morning show on the CBC here. And we're going to talk about him for a bit. He always does technology coverage with a policy-minded, public-minded kind of lens. And I think he's been doing a good job of it for a long time now. Jesse Hirsch has been doing that column on Metro Morning for like, he was doing it when I was there and trying to do the same kind of thing. And he was really good at it. He might've been better at it than me. He was uh, like over 10 years, 12 years. It's been a long time. And he's criticized Facebook many times. He comes from, I think, a school of computing and technology that uh, technologists that are, I think, very leery of a private company like Facebook and the privacy concerns. I mean, there's probably been many, many Jesse Hirsch columns about Facebook. But he was talking about Facebook this week in the wake of a very alarming New York Times story, a report that shows just all kinds of really serious transgressions on the part of Facebook. They knew about Russian meddling in the U.S. election long before anyone thought that they did. And they didn't do anything about it because they were under fire from American conservatives for perceived anti-right-wing bias. 
In fact, they started to meddle in politics and take Republican positions in order to ingratiate themselves to the Trump administration. And then it got even worse than that. The New York Times revealed, this is just fascinating to me, they hired this Republican-affiliated PR firm called Definers, which is just a, a terrifying <laughs> name for a PR firm, isn't it? It's probably, you know, they're, they're skillful. They're accurately defining themselves. Yeah. We are the company who will define people for you. You know, put yes. us on the job and we will define your enemies. So this is, you know, I think it was uh, a Bush speechwriter who has uh, started this definers group. And they're very public. About, you know, definers say, this is what we do. We do oppo research on your enemies. We will have positive content pushed out to media about you and your company and negative content pushed out about your competitor. They have their own little news network, uh, the NTK network. Uh, which is their affiliate. They actually write the news stories for the NTK network. And then wow. those news stories uh, find their way onto Breitbart and things like that. So Facebook right. is hiring this like dirty tricks PR company to attack Google and support Facebook. All of that comes out in this New York Times uh, story. And it's worse than that. It looks like Facebook was um, not actively complicit, but when the Rohingya were being just massacred, Facebook left up propaganda sites that they were warned about. Um, this is happening all around the world, that we're finally waking up to, I think, uh, Facebook's, usually their indifference to the, to the serious abuses uh, that their platform is used for, but, you know, increasingly to their complicity with some of it and even active negative behavior on the part of Facebook. All of that, all of that, Bill, is the, is the backdrop for Jesse Hirsch doing his weekly, you know, tech drop in on Metro Morning. And he kind of gets us up to speed uh, more efficiently than I just did on, <laughs> on all of that Facebook stuff. And then there was a glitch in the matrix. In his last minute of his column, he turned the focus onto the CBC while he was on the CBC and challenged CBC management in terms of their relationship with Facebook. And that entire segment got talked about on Twitter and people were waiting for it to be posted as Metro Morning often does. Well, they always post their content. They don't always post all of it. And we were waiting and waiting. When is that one going up? And it didn't go up. And first, okay, they don't always put up everything. Maybe maybe this one just didn't make the cut. And um, Mark Weisblot of 1236 asked the CBC spokesperson, I asked Matt Galloway, when's it going up? And he said, you better talk to Chuck Thompson, the spokesperson. Before I could do that, Mark Weisblatt did. And Chuck Thompson said, we will not be posting that because it fell short of our journalistic standards and practices. Mm. And my response to him was, how do we know? I mean, you know, we then got into a thing about, I was aware that Jesse Hirsch had, had said some things about CBC promoting Facebook and asking its employees to promote Facebook. And Chuck said, we don't ask for that. And I said, well, how do I, I think your column is, argued that you did. And I would like to engage with his argument, but I can't because you've disappeared the clip. Well, a copy of the entire interview made its way into uh, former Canada Land reporter, current Logic reporter, Sean Craig's inbox. And Sean posted the whole thing. It's six minutes, uh, six and a half minutes. It's well worth uh, a full listen. What we're going to play for you right now, we'll link to the whole thing. But what we'll play right now is the final minute of that, where Jesse Hirsch talks about the CBC. I'm going to do something controversial and I'm going to flip it back to CBC. Why does CBC trust Facebook? 
Why does every outlet on CBC tell its listeners to go like them on Facebook? Or not just CBC, but other journalistic entities as well. But we're CBC, so I'm not, I don't care about the mm-hmm. other journalist entities. Why do the people at CBC mandate that CBC personnel promote Facebook? Yeah. Why does CBC continue to engage in commercial relationships with Facebook? Now that it's clear to us that Facebook is a threat to democracy and CBC as a public broadcaster should be strengthening democracy. So I would like to hear from the senior managers of this corporation, which I do not work for very clearly. And further, every time I've appeared on this show to talk about Facebook, Facebook has complained to CBC and CBC has not defended me or has not defended our right to have these conversations, although Metro Morning does. We're still having them, yeah. Right? And and, and that, to me, is is the hypocrisy of our reporting on Facebook, that we talk about it, but as a company, we do nothing. Jesse, thank you. Hopefully, I'll come back. But if not, thanks, everybody. Jesse Hirsch, our technology columnist on Metro Morning. You've got to love Jesse. And the CBC is so wrong not to run this, if for no other reason that that was fabulous radio. I mean, you don't get anything that grabs you the way he did when he turned the tables right back on the CBC. And you can hear Matt Galloway kind of trying to mount a bit of a defense and then backing off, realizing, well, no, this guy's got it. That feels like he's saying, yeah, this is a good point. So he lets it go. He lets it ride. Um, you know, just one side comment about Jesse. One thing I've always loved about him, I follow tech journalism intently and have for a good 15 years or so. The vast majority of tech journalists are cheerleaders. Yeah. Um, and, and Jesse always focuses on meaning. And as you say, policy looks through the lens of policy and it's far more intelligent in this instance, he has really good questions, and I'm squirming a little. I use Facebook. I don't know what to make of some of the allegations and how much responsibility to place on them. I mean, it's it's clear they're a company which is absolutely reckless around ethics. Absolutely. Facebook is. Yeah, totally. Yeah. They always have been. Always have been. The, the break things and move fast mentality. Yeah. And, you know, for a long time... I've been willing to say, well, these are young people in a brand new business that is going to bark at shins a lot and be willing to forgive it. Um, I'm not sure I know what to think anymore. I also, I'm a little leery of oversubscribing to the notion that the Russians had such an amazing impact on the election. Uh, I'm also not, not in the slightest surprised. Nation states have been doing that to each other for as long as they've been able to cross borders. Uh, There's no surprise there. Facebook is the newest vector for those actions. And it's also a lot of people looking for an excuse for what's going on in that country. Mm -hmm. I think you said something earlier that uh, hits the right note, which is we don't know what to think about Facebook, right? Like we're starting to think about Facebook. We use Facebook. We squirm because we still use it even as we know all these things about it. I don't think that there was anything um, villainous in, in, in CBC intertwining themselves with Facebook. Facebook was a cool thing and it was the future and CBC was offered early partnerships with them and I think in a very gradual organic process started to use them for everything from distributing their content uh 
you know, broadcasting over Facebook instead of over the public airwaves. So the last uh, municipal elections here in, in Ontario, you couldn't yeah. watch that live on CBC TV. You could watch it on Facebook Live. You know, outsourcing um, engagement with, uh, you know, discussion amongst their, their, their listeners and viewers happens on Facebook. And yes, they, I don't know what the explicit instructions are, but they are constantly saying, follow us on Facebook, like us on Facebook, check it out on Facebook. And every time they do that, they're advertising for Facebook. So in bringing this up and challenging management, Jesse Hirsch is doing what you're supposed to do on public radio. He's asking us to think about it. And I asked Jesse Hirsch about, like, did you go off script there? Like, are they going to throw you under the bus? You know, and, and it seems that at least management is saying that, um, without explaining why, that that was uh, falling short of their standards and practices. And I can't see how it falls short. But uh, what, what Jesse Hirsch told me was... Um, there was no script, no notes. It was entirely spontaneous. Matt and I spoke during the news break, and he invited me to take the segment wherever I wanted, and so I did. As we were discussing the genocide of the Rohingya, I felt the moral weight of the conversation and decided to bring it back to CBC and the company's complicity in the rise of Facebook. Who cares if we trust Facebook? Why does CBC trust Facebook? I also felt, given the substance of the New York Times investigation, that it was worth mentioning past instances of Facebook complaining about my commentary. Um, that's interesting too. And you have to wonder if they complained about his commentary on this occasion and if that's why the response was what it was. Jesse Hirsch finishes, while Metro Morning has defended me, the company has not, hence my comments. And that was before mm. Chuck Thompson disavowed the segment. Right. So, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that's got to happen now. Like, and, and you can hear at the end, Jesse Hirsch signing off saying, this might be the last time I'm on this show. He yeah. was willing to sacrifice this gig. He knew that that might be the ending of this. Uh, you know, I, I hope that that is not the case. I hope that they keep him on the air because CBC is much richer and, and its listeners are much richer for having him. And I hope that like, you don't just disappear a piece of content and say that fell short of our, of our standards. You have to explain why. I want to know what did Jesse Hirsch supposedly do and I'll tell you, Bill, I want to hear what Matt Galloway has to say about this. You know, is his show a place where people can bring up tough questions like that, even if they're about the CBC, or isn't it? I mean, during that interview, he says, well, we're having this conversation. He seems to be saying this is a place where that conversation is possible. Now his management is saying that was beneath our standards. I think that the editorial independence of that show is in question right now. And I think that just basically how well Matt, you know, stands up for his team and his content is in question. And we haven't heard anything from him yet as we record on Wednesday here. I mean, I honestly don't see anything in that that should make the corporation, the corporate side, want to step in to the editorial side and prevent it from being spread, uh, as in released, or heaven forbid, end his association. I think Matt should be standing up for his own and his show's independence if there's any any indication that it was because of his the bit at the end where he tries to hold CBC accountable. I mean, I don't have to agree with him about whether media should be on that platform or not. That That's a huge and nuanced debate, and it's an important one to have. So I think the CBC does have to stand up and explain why they think this shouldn't be released and, and how it fails their journalistic standards, because I didn't hear it listening to that show. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world, and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself 
with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Bill, it's your first time on Shortcuts. We have a segment here called Duly Noted, where we note things that maybe got overlooked and shouldn't. I'm not sure this one got overlooked, but I'm going to note it anyhow. Absolutely. If you... If you... uh if you live in Edmonton and you picked up the newspaper uh, on uh, Tuesday, I believe, and, you know, you were looking above the fold, as they say, the newspaper that's in the boxes or shows up at your door, uh, the Edmonton Journal, and then there's a big smiling picture of Jason Kenney, and the headline reads, Jason Kenney, the right choice for Alberta. Ugh. And you need, to, you need to flip the thing over and look at the, the bottom half to realize that that is a full front page ad, which just looks like a big glowing endorsement to any casual reader of this newspaper. It's very easy to miss the fact that this is an advertisement. And um, I don't know, is it a new low? There've been so many new lows. <laughs> I'm not sure it's a new low. It's pretty low. Jesse, you do not want to get me started on what newspapers have done to their front pages. It's astonishing. It is astonishing to me that they sell these rap ads and allow them to borrow the typology, the mastheads and everything. It's bad enough that they put any ads, but this is just, ugh. ugh. I, what can I say? It just, it makes me want to leave the business. I mean, you, you're speaking from the point of view of somebody who worked in newspaper newsrooms at a time when you would be like, you would be like immolated. You would be burnt alive for suggesting that this is a good idea. Like this was just uh, sacrilege, right? Uh, for for many, many, many years. That this that it ever, you know, it would be a, a bad joke to suggest that things could ever get to this point. Absolutely. And I remember. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, and I I've only been out of out of the newsrooms <laughs> for two years. But the uh, at the paper at the that I worked at at the Spectator, I remember when front page ads were first introduced and. They drew a line between that revenue and jobs. I mean, that was not overt in the press release, but in the discussions, it, it, was, it was clear that this ad will bring in X number of thousands of dollars a year. And you know that we're going through cyclical layoffs. So that's the Hobson's choice. Yeah. 
It just, my anger is the anger of, of helplessness, is what that's about. But to go so far as, as to allow them to dress the ads in your colors, that is too far. That is just too far. And the Post media does it routinely. The Globe does it sometimes. Duly noted. Bill, do you have a duly noted? Indeed, I do. And this is what I would call a failure uh, of uh, certainly the Canadian media. You may want to tell your listeners, don't eat the lettuce. There have been some news reports about the romaine lettuce contamination, and I, I believe it's upwards, well, it's dozens of people anyway, have gotten sick with a strain of E. coli in Ontario and Quebec. And it's the second year in a row that this has happened. Yeah. And when it happened last year, I mean, normally when we have these incidents, they tell you, you know, don't buy something with this lot number or don't buy this brand between these dates, throw it out, etc. In this, it was just don't eat any romaine lettuce. We don't know. It doesn't matter where it comes from, when you bought it, if it's in a restaurant, a store, don't eat romaine lettuce. They never apparently track down the source, which I find astonishing. And the same thing is happening again now. And I went to Health Canada's site where they issue the safety alerts, the alerts and, and recalls and things like that. And there's not a word about it. Huh. There's nothing. So is the warning only from media? Where's the media getting this uh, no, E. coli? They issued a press release to the media. Who did? Uh, Health Canada. Without putting it on their own website is what you're saying? that they, they Without putting it into their formal alert system. Uh-huh. So I am no expert in how that system works. I suspect what we're seeing is an artifact of the bureaucracy and the laws that Putting it is in, an, in an alert triggers actions and responsibilities. And because uh-huh. the origins are a little fuzzy, they don't want to do that. But no media is reporting on that. No media is examining why that is the case or why Health Canada is being effectively ineffective. This is the second time in a year it's happened. There's speculation. I see that it may be related to a late harvest of romaine in California. But, I mean, this is E. coli, and in Ontario, we have a terrible experience with that. Mm -hmm. It kills. And I think the media is treating this far too lightly and is not holding Health Canada to the fire. Duly noted. Okay, Bill, I want to give you some advice. Yes. If you ever find yourself at a party and uh, somebody starts talking to you about, like, some legal squabble that they're caught up in, run. You know, like no one is more boring than the person who is in the midst of defending themselves in some sort of arbitration or procedure or divorce. Because like, you know, when people are under attack, they feel like they're the victim of some great injustice. They just lose all perspective. They lose all charm. They lose all social grace. They lose, they lose any consideration for the experience of the person <laughs> that they're talking to. They just want to unload and lucky you, you're the one getting dumped on. With that said, Bill, with that said... Here's the latest on our libel situation with the Kielbergers. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you're following this. I don't know how many people are following this. I don't know how interesting it is to people who are- I, Sorry, you know. I, let me interrupt. I've been following it. Uh, I think this is really important work. I think this is, it looks to me like solid journalism and it's journalism that is very long overdue. Thank you for saying so. We think so. And because we cover the media and I'm really interested in how libel cases play out and, li- you know, uh, from every, because we're not actually at the lawsuit stage yet, but 
every part of the media's interaction with the institutions that it looks at is interesting to me. And we're now in the middle of, of one that is unlike any that I've seen before. So, you know, I've talked about this in different ways in recent weeks. Uh, and, I, you know, it, it's interesting because we put so much care and we talk to our lawyers about all of our reporting. And then if you say something offhand on a show like this, that has equal weight. You've published it just, just as you've published the other stuff. So I'll be very careful here. But there's parts of it that I haven't talked about yet. I'm sorry in advance to everybody if I'm that person at the party. But there's some weird stuff with this case that I haven't gotten into yet. The main thing being that they hired this judge. Did you, did you catch that detail? No, I did not see this. So if you are a person or an organization and the media has written stuff about you that you think is wrong, you know, that's serious. I, I don't discount that. You know, people's reputations and organizations' reputations are important. And if you are convinced that they got it wrong, you've got a number of things you can do. And the playbook is like, you know, you'd hope that you could call up the media and say you got that wrong. And they would correct it. And we do that. If people point out inaccuracies, we correct them. But maybe maybe you don't trust that media organization to correct. Then you can, well, if the organization is a member of the press council, and we are, you can go to the press council and say that this is bad journalism. So the, there's a national news media council here in Canada. They have teeth. Like Bombardier recently complained to the media council about the Globe and Mail. And the media council found in favor of Bombardier and the Globe and Mail had to publish that they got it wrong and link to the decision and do all this stuff. Right. So that's something that the Kilbergers and we could have done. They didn't do that. As people know, they sent us a libel notice, but that's not what I'm talking about today. They also, they also hired a retired judge to issue a private verdict on our journalism. What? Have you ever heard of this before? They, they, I they, have they, the, uh, No. <laughs> So they they hired uh, Justice Gouge, and and they they were able to kind of present here is what we specifically what we want you to rule on, and they provided him with like additional information that we never received, and we had no idea that this secret tribunal was taking place. Justice Gouge never came to us for our side of it or shared with us this additional information. He just issued his verdict that our claims had no substance to them. Uh, against wow. the Kilbergers. So that wow. was a really strange, uh, part. And, and now they've since been presenting that publicly, like, well, look at this ruling, which I think a lot of people might think that that's like, you know, an actual court that issued that ruling and not some judge that they hired. Now, th this is a retired judge, yeah? It's a retired judge. Okay, and, you know, th that's not uncommon for retired judges to be hired to be kind of independent arbiters of, of various things. Yeah, that happens. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but this that's one- astonishing. In, in, yeah. It's pretty new. Um, other strange things have been happening as well. And all I can do is really just tell the world that they're happening. And I want to be very clear. I am now going to talk about other things that have happened since we published our story on We. And these are not things that I have any reason to believe that the We movement or the Kielbergers have anything to do with. They're just things that have happened to Canada Land since then. Um, I've talked about some of them before. Our website was uh, like cyber attacked uh, with a big uh, denial of service attack. Right. Somebody actually knocked us offline for days. No idea who did that. Then we were targeted by this Twitter bot campaign. 33 Twitter accounts, which we later determined were totally fake. They'd stolen the pictures from other accounts. They had previously only tweeted about like wrestling. They had, some of them had zero followers and followed no one. These were fake accounts that within the span, they'd all just been created in the last few weeks. And within the span of two hours, they all started criticizing Canada Land's coverage of we, right? With very similar criticisms and a very, very, you know, oh, I guess it's better if we don't help Africans out, huh, Canada Land? And, you know, what, what charity are you going to attack next, Canada Land? <laughs> 
So somebody wanted it to look like a bunch of individuals were very upset about our, our reporting. And again, like who, who did that? No idea. No idea who was behind that. Jesse, you, you do know that's a service you purchase. I do. There's like dark web places where you go and you say, I want this many Twitter accounts to put this kind of message out. So there's a whole world of like, you yeah. know, to try to you know figure that out. They're not, they're not so much so dark web-ish. It's called marketing. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not hard to buy fake Twitter accounts and then direct them. And the similarity in the accounts uh, suggests that whoever bought this was cheap and and bought the worst service available because of that focus on wrestling um, <laughs> is is just well what do Americans like they like wrestling okay I, that's what it feels like I take some comfort at, you're right it's kind of been a bush league dirty tricks campaign it hasn't so exactly far. been the most sophisticated thing I'll tell you the most recent one and you just told me Jesse sorry I I just you called it a bush league dirty tricks campaign you are referring of course simply to this single example of the Twitter accounts. Yes, because I do not know that there is a connection between the cyber attack and the Twitter campaign. They could be completely separate things. Or indeed any guiding mind whatsoever. Here's the, the most recent strange thing that's happened. It seems, according to a Toronto Sun editorial that also ran in the Vancouver province, and I think some other papers uh, in the post-media chain, it seems that fake news is something that Canadians really need to be worried about. That's what this, this editorial said, that fake news is coming to Canada, guys. It is a cancer that will infect your democracy. Yellow journalism. Canada is very polite. That doesn't mean Canada is safe from fake news. What is fake news in Canada, according to this editorial? Me. This was I, an editorial. I, <laughs> did you see this thing? I, I did. Again, it reads like it was written by the people who set up fake Twitter accounts focusing on wrestling. It's virtually illiterate. It is, again, kind of Bush League. And I was trying to figure it out because the author is this guy, Gus Portella. I'll tell you a bit about Gus Portella in a minute. But what he wrote was Jesse Brown, you know, is, is the example I'm going to provide of fake news in Canada. What is his worst journalistic sin? He has a pattern of misinformation, writes Portella. And his worst sin, he says, this is a quote, perhaps most troublesome was Brown incorrectly alleging that Ontario's Greater Essex County District School Board issued a memo <laughs> that was a false memo. Now, though Brown corrected that the next week. So here he is saying this, this guy is a real problem in Canada. He's your big fake news problem. What's his worst sin? In 2014, he made a mistake on his podcast that he corrected the next week. <laughs> and Post Media published this. And Post Media published it. And I'm, I'm asking questions of Adrian Batra, the son of like, where the hell did this come from? And uh, do I sound like that person at the party that you want to run away from yet? Let me continue. I, oh, so I, Gus... I have to go, Jesse. I really have to go. <laughs> no, you're going to hear this. <laughs> Gus Portella is a Republican strategist. Wow. All right. See, this is how it works. It makes me sound nuts. He is a Republican strategist um, who has a group called Accuracy in Media. Aim. That he's, yeah. he, he's a Fox News regular. And I, I know nothing about him beyond this. And as far as I can tell, he's never written about Canada before. He's, and I'm like, is this guy sitting at home listening to 2014 episodes of Canada Land and then writing up? Like, why is he taking an interest in this? He won't answer my questions about that. But, I, you know, I'll tell you one thing that I did figure out. I'm like, what is this, this, this example of this podcast about the Greater Essex County School Board? Why is that detail? Because, you know, Bill. You know journalists. If you walk into any newsroom in Canada and say, what's your beef with Jesse Brown? They'll have much better stuff 
right? <laughs> More recent examples, perhaps that they. So I'm like, why is he dwelling on that one example? It's so weird. And then I remembered that was one example in a Globe and Mail profile about me from 2015, and that ranks really high in my search ranking. So if you were to uh, Google, basically, if you had the job of like, I want you to write a hit job on Jesse Brown. I never heard of Jesse Brown. Let me Google him. The first thing that would come up negative would be this Globe and Mail story that offers that example. I doubt very much that Gus Portella would recognize my voice if I got on the phone with him. So <laughs> I, I, something's happening. I don't know what's going on. Something's going on. On the last example, I... I'm going to say that there is most likely an explanation that is rooted in two things, post-media cost-cutting and post-media's connections to Fox and the, I will call them far-right media in the U.S. Yeah. Well, David Pecker was a, was a board member until recently. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I mean, the whole Sun TV news was born with uh, some American uh, uh, midwifery. So I would ask this question, does this person's op-eds appear routinely? In which case, this could just be, you know, an example of him going, oh, what am I going to write about this week? I don't believe he's ever written for Post Media before. Okay. Yeah. Feel free to be a little paranoid then. (laughs) I'll be a little paranoid. And uh, again, there are so many people who are so passionately supportive of we who are very angry at us for our, our reporting and any one of them could be doing something or any of the many other people who don't like us for other reasons. So there's no reason, we have no reason to believe that we is involved in these things. But I will say this, the day after that editorial ran, a we executive who runs their corporate partnerships emailed a bunch of their corporate partners saying, you may be aware that this Canada land site has been criticizing us. Well, here's an editorial that calls into question their journalism. So it was certainly yeah. capitalized on as a way to discredit us. That much I can say with confidence. Well, Google alerts are cheap and yeah, easy. That's right. That's right. Bill, I have to go stick some push pins in a cork board. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I thought it know, was going to be in a doll. Okay. It's, it, no, it's all becoming clear to me now. The connections are there and I have this, uh, if I can keep the radio waves out, I'm going to crack this thing by the end of the day. Thank you. Thank you for working through right. it with me. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> it's nice of you to say that. <laughs> That was your Canadaland Shortcuts. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. Bill, where can people find you and your work? The simplest, I mean, my Facebook profile is wide open. So if you don't mind <laughs> participating in an evil corporation there. I'm also on Twitter. I am I have two accounts. One is just typing stuff, which was my Hamilton-centered account. Uh, and the other is typist. Your Twitter account is at typist. You have that one? I was on Twitter a very long time ago. OG names. OG <laughs> names. Okay, check them out at typist. Our website is canadalandshow.com. And actually, you can read Jaron Kerr's most recent investigation of We There, his second story, which is all about their relationship with the media over the last couple of decades. This episode was produced by David Crosby. Canada Land's managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV. If you like what we do, you can get ad-free versions of our podcasts by supporting us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. <laughs>